If you like what we do here over at Aircrew Interview and would like to support us and help us grow, you can head over to our Patreon channel at patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview where you can donate monthly. We have different tiers ranging from $1 per month right up to $25 with each tier offering different rewards. All the monthly donations greatly help us to continue creating these video and audio interviews so please take a look and I thank you in advance. Enjoy. Then you moved on to the Jag. Was this the natural progression coming from the Ajit or did you choose the Jag? No, well, uh, you didn't uh, choose the Jag. You see, by the time uh, I was finishing my uh, uh, fully ops and a two aircraft leader and my instrument rating on the Ajits and all, uh, since we were on the Western types, the hunters were there. We had one squadron of hunters and uh, you had the Canberras which were on their way out. And then uh, we had the Mirage 2000 coming in around the same time mm -hmm. uh, in, in uh, 84, 85, 85, 86 and all. And uh, the Jaguars had been there for about six or seven years. Uh, so most of the people from the Ajits, they progressed either onto the Jaguars or onto the MiG-27s. Mm. Uh, they went in for the strike role and uh, what they did was uh, when the Mirages came in they just picked uh, one or two people from each fleet to make the best of you know uh, right. combination, something like that unfortunately uh, there was an officer from our squadron who got uh, selected on to the uh, you know to join the Mirages which was a, uh, the latest jet those days fly by wire and uh, the works uh, in the Indian Air Force uh, so this officer met uh, with a fatal accident in a night flying sortie mm. and uh, they somehow after that uh, nobody from Ajis went to Mirages <laughs> so you know how uh, these decisions get taken at uh, the headquarters or whatever it is yeah so what so, were your first thoughts on the Jaguar your personal thoughts I uh, was very impressed with this aircraft uh, the biggest jump that uh, I could uh, see happening was uh, that the aircraft had reheat hmm there was no reheat and the aircraft was capable of going uh, supersonic uh, from a transonic aircraft and uh, in terms of the ergonomics and the comfort and all I think uh, the British uh, or the Western fleet uh, stands apart from the Russian uh, fleet so it, it was seamless in terms of you know uh, cockpit comfort but in terms of switches in terms of systems, in terms of the amount of, you know, groundwork that we had to yes. do for every mission, it was a sea change from the Ajits where, you know, you could, like I told you, just pull four switches up and push in four CVs and get airborne and things yeah. like that. So that was a, a big uh, change, but I think uh, good, uh, you know, for... Uh, your professional uh, growth and career and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And what version of the Jag did the Indians get? Was it basically just the RAF or was there some changes for um, your Air Force? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, uh, the 
RAF Jaguars were the NAVAS uh, Jaguars that the Indian Air Force got, the initial lot. That is, NAVAS stood for Navigation and Weapon Enemy uh, Subsystem. But uh, uh, there were two squadrons, uh, so the initial lot of aircraft that came in. The Indian Air Force thereafter uh, did an improvement on the navigation system, and we had the Darren navigation system, you know, which uh, was better, ring laser gyros, uh, the... Yes was met better so, uh, we I joined the squadron which was converting uh, from the Canberras which were being phased out to the Jaguars which were being manufactured in India by HAL mm. which was the upgraded version of the Jaguars called as the Darren Jaguar mm. so we were the first lot of five or six uh, officers who were you know forming the squadron we, I was a youngster of course that time and uh, we would collect these aircraft, do their acceptance, flight testing and all at uh, HAL and then get them over to the squadron. Mm-hmm. So uh, I joined the Jaguar fleet uh, with the latest version of the Jaguar, which was there in the Indian Air Force at that time. Subsequent to that, of course, it has undergone two more upgrades, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about uh, some of your flying training. What was it like? I'm guessing, was it a strike aircraft uh, specifically, or was there any air-to-air role as well? Yeah, so JAG was basically a strike aircraft. It was known as the deep penetration strike aircraft, deep, uh, you know, and uh, it could do all the roles, phenomenal amount of armament it could carry, very stable platform at low level, uh, twin engines. Uh, it could perform fantastically, you know, uh, for the role that it was designed for. The Jaguar was designed basically as a strike aircraft. Mm-hmm. But it also had uh, overwing missiles, which uh, you know uh, you could use uh, to protect yourself in case you got into a fight. But our uh, philosophy was always that you, know, you get down and you run away. But uh, at low levels, after jettisoning your tanks, uh, the aircraft was uh, very maneuverable and uh, excellent uh, at controls. The only place where the Jaguar I felt lacked uh, was because you had to do flying for a long time uh, at low level and it was demanding, you know, uh, was it didn't have an autopilot. And which was sad because the first technology demonstrator of an autopilot was a Jaguar. And uh, the Jaguars entered service, they were without... uh, uh, <laughs> autopilot. <laughs> so, no problem. So, Neil, as you know, the Jaguar had reheat. What was that first takeoff like for you, you know, having that power? I think the the kick uh, that the reheat gives you when you release brakes is uh, like uh, adrenaline rush, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you see the markers whizzing past and getting airborne, uh, that feeling uh, cannot be, uh, you know, described very easily. But uh, very good, though. Uh, all the people from the MiG fleet and everyone else used to uh, pull our legs to say that the Jaguar only got airborne because of the curvature of the Earth. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, they didn't know what. Uh, you know, for a long time, I felt uh, that. Uh, I'm missing out on something uh, because I I, ha- I had never flown a MiG uh, class of aircraft. And the, the Indian Air Force essentially was uh, all the MiG series, you know, the three variants of the MiG-21, the MiG-23, the MiG-25, the MiG-27, the MiG-29. And uh, 
the mirages of course had come in but uh, uh, when i did fly the mig 21 Uh, much uh, later in my uh, career when i got posted to a base which had a mig 21 uh, squadron as well i realized that uh, i have not missed much so uh, you know i was very happy with the way things were i mean i've got nothing against the mig 21 it's a fantastic machine people swear by it but uh, in terms of uh, uh, like i said ergonomics pilot comfort flying handling uh, you couldn't beat uh, a jaguar yeah so in your flying training did you ever integrate with the migs uh, specifically the mig 27 or were you all separate types and you just did your own thing no we were not integrated uh, with the mig 27s you uh, the jaguars had their own role to play uh, we had our strikes uh, you know uh, mapped out and we had our targets and we had everything so uh, we were not integrated to fly combined uh, you know formations but uh, over targets uh, with you know time intervals uh, i suppose you know we would strike the big 27 would strike and uh, that was there but but we did integrate with the uh, mirages uh, as uh, escorts uh, for air defense as well as for ew mm-hmm. And as you mentioned just before the cockpit what was it like having a hood for the first time Yes that was a game changer as well uh the head up display uh, you know gave you that option of not having to look inside at all mm-hmm. uh through your uh, flying uh definitely uh, mm-hmm. And what did it feel like a bit more comfy or cuz I've sat in a jag and it's quite tight actually uh then maybe you have to sit down inside an ajit and all of that to realize you know how spacious the jag was <laughs> because <laughs> because when you raised your legs up your knees were on you know touching the altimeter and the artificial horizon it was uh, the seat it was like that mm-hmm. and very very tight uh, cockpit on a night or the ajit So yeah, I'll have to try that next time. <laughs> Sitting in a jeep. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So let's talk about some of the weapons or munitions that Jack could carry at that time in, in your flying career. Yeah, so the Jaguars basically uh, carried the runway denial weapons, uh, the Durandal or the Bar Hundred. It could it carried the cluster bombs and it carried the thousand pound thousand uh, pound bombs. it was only the later part uh, when i was finishing my flying term uh, tenures and all that we had the uh, you know uh, the litning pod and all which got integrated onto the jaguar for uh, targeting the israeli pod but otherwise uh, they were uh, conventional weapons and did you ever get to shoot the cannon yes What the was that like? uh, <laughs> the front gun was very good uh, i mean we regularly carried out uh, armament flying uh, you know dropping bombs firing guns firing rockets uh, over the range because that was our bread and butter and uh, that is what uh, we did uh, all the so now you kind of talked about it before but can you maybe just go into a bit more detail of the strengths and weaknesses of the jaguar the strengths of the jaguar a very stable platform for the ground attack role uh, the amount of uh, weapons that it could carry were phenomenal uh, the the weakness uh, of the jaguar was uh, the uh, jaguar didn't have a radar it didn't have an autopilot 
and uh, the uh, the 804 engines uh, mark 804 adur engines which were there with the jaguar initially over a period of time we found them to be uh, a bit underpowered uh, for the aircraft and then we came up with the 811 engines which uh, in which the thrust was enhanced uh, significantly uh, otherwise it's i think uh, it's been uh, more than four decades Mm-hmm. uh you know and the jaguar is still uh, going pretty strong in the indian air force after uh, a number of upgrades yeah and obviously on your frontline squadron did you always um fly with tanks on or did you ever fly clean uh we flew clean for uh, air combat missions because we did like uh, you know we did practice uh, basic uh, defensive maneuvering and all and uh, uh, but uh, most of the time we did fly with tanks on the jet mm-hmm. and uh, all the ats sorties also of course were done uh, you know uh, on the clean aircraft mm-hmm. so yeah obviously when you were clean you went up against and um, all the other types did the jag have a chance at all um, when you were doing these kind of dact missions uh yes i you know uh, we in the squadron had a picture of a jag taking a shot at a mig 29 <laughs> brilliant and mig 29 when it got acquired was uh, you know just for the purpose of air defense and uh, which was a big uh, you know this achievement for uh, to show a film with the mig 29 and its crosshairs you know <laughs> of a jaguar <laughs> <laughs> so, can you share some memorable stories from your time flying the Jaguar? We did long range strikes at night, at dark night, flying at, you know, 300 500 feet. Mm. Uh some of the missions that we carried out uh, over the sea, uh, going 150 miles, uh, you know, into the sea, mm. low level at night without an autopilot. and uh, probably at the back of the mind, of your mind knowing that if you were to punch out here boy i don't think anybody would be able to rescue you out of that place mm-hmm. i mean 30 40 years ago things were different things have changed a lot uh, now you know in terms of uh, the sar and all so uh, these were some memorable stories and uh, what i also found was that uh, uh, the most difficult part of the 24 hour cycle that a pilot uh, you know has to fly mm-hmm. is the time at 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning and there were times when we did you know uh, repetitive missions on at those hours of the day that mm-hmm. means you know you had a briefing at uh, 9 o'clock 10 o'clock at night so it was be very difficult to go to sleep at 4 or 5 in the evening you know and mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't sleep and therefore uh, you were not rested enough and then you had to you know get up and fly the mission and then fly another mission and all jaguar missions were long range and mm-hmm. all were without autopilot and all required a lot of uh, you know preparation and concentration and uh, having a wits about you so yes uh, interesting one was there but yeah. um just mentioned that uh, obviously the long missions was uh, the indian air force jag capable of air to air refueling at the time yeah so that's that's not the first uh the jaguars were capable of air to air refueling but uh, we did not have any tankers and uh i was one of the first few guys uh 
uh, in uh, there were two officers who were sent to UK from the Jaguars to okay. get trained on uh, you know uh, air to air refueling, and thereafter we had the VC10 of the RAF come down to our Jaguar base uh, where uh, it undertook training of the Indian Air Force pilots on air to air refueling. This was in uh, 1997. right uh, which uh, 25 so before that uh, no pilot of the indian air force ever did air to air refueling and uh, i did my first uh, dual check with a rf uh, instructor on the jaguar trainer on which there was no probe <laughs> the check <Jag> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and uh, and he told me he said that uh, you know i will uh, consider my dual check to be successful Uh, only if you make contact a successful contact the first time wow uh, and uh, when i went solo i did it so uh, and i again this is something that uh, today has become the norm in the indian air force all pilots do air to air refueling all pilots fly long range missions but in those days uh, flying a 2 hour mission uh you know 2 hour or 2 hour yeah. 30 minute uh, minutes uh, mission it was only the jaguar pilots who were doing that wow. in the yeah. indian the 70s i mean 80s and 90s yeah wow didn't know that yes yeah. but um yeah. yeah how many hours did you get on the jaguar uh see i like i told you my first stint in the jaguars uh, was uh, when i Uh, you know flew the jaguars which were the latest version of the jaguars which the indian air force had manufactured this was the darin jaguars i did about 4 years in the squadron uh, flying about uh, 800 hours so about two, roughly 200 hours a year, uh, year and then i went for the uh, qfi course the instructors course and i did a stint uh, training cadets and then did the staff college and came back so now when i came back I came back to the older version of the Jaguars, <laughs> which uh, were the original Navas uh, British RAF Jaguars. So it was actually a step back into the Navas <laughs> Jaguars, where I went back to the squadron as a flight commander. Really? So, <laughs> so I've got about uh, about sixteen hundred hours on the Jaguars, so wow. about eight hours on each uh, the the Navas and the Darren Jaguar. That's very impressive. But one of your proudest moments, I'm guessing, is you became Air Vice Marshal. How did this come about, and how did you feel about it? Well, uh, you know, uh, life takes you through strange uh, twists and turns. And uh, I, uh, when I was flight commander uh, of the Jaguars, Gordon, suddenly one day I, uh, you know, got a signal to say that uh, I, I'm supposed to go abroad somewhere for some training. So I was wondering. uh those days like i told you the indian air force was very insular there were very few people going out uh, traveling yeah. to work and all and uh, then i uh, i had been selected to raise the first harpy squadron of the air force uh, the harpy uh, the israeli uh, anti radar uh, uh, uav so i raised and commanded that unit and uh, then uh, after that uh, i went back to the uh, staff college as a Uh, instructor uh, at Wellington the DSSC and uh, did a stint in air headquarters and I got selected for the high command course uh, so I I made it to group captain at that stage and I never thought I'll make it to air commodore you know I that was last thing on my mind yeah. that uh, 
I will go this uh, this far or whatever it is. <laughs> and Air Commodore's rank came. And uh, then, of course, uh, you know, I uh, got selected to do the RCDS. And, uh, you know, after having commanded a base and having served in the uh, Tri-Services Command at Port Blair, I came to London for the RCDS course. And uh, I was back again and, you know, I picked up my rank as an AVM. So there it was. It felt good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, a very impressive, uh, impressive and enviable career you've had. But uh, we're just going to wrap up with some personal questions, if you're happy with that, Anil. Yes. So the first one is, uh, do you have any hobbies? Yeah, so uh, in my younger days, I would uh, play squash. Uh, but uh, sometime in uh, in 2000, I had a bad uh, accident, uh, road accident in which I, uh, you know, shattered my ankle and all. Right. So the doctors told me it's better that you avoid yeah. uh, playing these games. And I would want, I wanted to get back into the cockpit, so I did avoid that. And I've been doing swimming, and then uh, because the ankle broke, I started. I picked up golf, and uh, I've been playing golf. I love my game of uh, golf. I do swimming. Uh, so that's more or less like a everyday routine, you know, alternate day I play golf and I do swim and uh, I love to read, I love I do some writing as well. Uh, so What a brilliant life to have, just nice and relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this could be a difficult one or easy one for you, Anil. Uh, favorite aircraft you've flown in your career? Ajit. Nope, that's Without easy. <laughs> There you go, folks. Uh, so, is there an aircraft you would love to fly, either past or present? Well, uh, you know, uh, when I was in the Jaguar squadron, uh, we found that the people who had joined the Mirages, you know, they were like uh, walking, uh, like top guns and all, you know, above everybody else. Mm. So, it was, uh, it was a dream. And uh, I did manage to get a, uh, you know, a sortie in the back seat of a, a Mirage 2000 and I found that aircraft to be fabulous. It mm. actually, the fly-by-wire, the aircraft, the handling, it was a fighter pilot's dream, you know. Uh, of course, uh, given a choice, I would love to fly the Rafale but I know I can't at this stage. <laughs> uh, so there you are. But I, I, I flew the uh, Mirage 2000 and I did uh, fly a sortie in the Su-30 also. But uh, Mirage 2000, definitely class apart. No denying. So, um, what do you think uh, of the current um, Indian Air Force? Because there's some absolutely amazing types in the fleet. I think the current Indian Air Force is uh, uh, up to the challenge. Uh, We have varied types of aircraft. But uh, I suppose... uh, it is not out of uh, choice, it is out of circumstances that the mm. nation's been in. Uh, we've got the light combat aircraft, the Tejas, uh, you'll have the Mark 1A coming in and you have the Amka also coming in soon in some time. And uh, we have two squadrons of the Rafale. Uh, the only uh, thing that we like is the numbers, you know, the squadron strength is dwindling because we need to phase out the older versions of mm. the MiG-21s. And the replenishment isn't happening at the pace at which the phasing out is taking place. Yeah. And so, the final uh, question, um, what are you currently up to and are you still involved in aviation today? 
Yes, so uh, I joined uh, the Air Force Think Tank, the Center for Air Power Studies, uh, last year uh, in uh, in uh, May last year. I retired in 19, 2019 uh, November and uh, March, April, the COVID uh, hit. I was thinking of getting into uh, a career into the civil aviation industry, but then uh, the hit that the civil aviation industry took the world over, uh, I realized, you know, it was not a good, I mean, it was a no-go when you're going over the hill. And uh, like I said that, you know, all good things happen for a reason. And I quite enjoy doing the job that I'm doing now at the, the Center for Air Pass Studies as the additional director general. We've got about uh, 25, 26 research scholars, including officers who are doing research on aerospace power, international security strategy. I blog, I write on my, uh, I blog as Candid Anil on Scrollstack. Uh, plus, I have been publishing articles in the journals and newspapers, magazines, whatever. And I quite enjoy doing that. Like not relaxing for you, is there, Nelly? Just say, uh, I'll go for you. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, uh, you know, uh, my father uh, would always say uh, he uh, never retired, actually. And uh, post-retirement, he took up, uh, he was into social work. He took up adoption of children in a big way. And he had helped about 250 orphan children find them oh, wow. homes. And he would always tell me the day I stop working, I'm not going to live. Oh, yeah, and he continues yeah. working till till the end, you know. I mean, wow, that's impressive. But, so uh, I suppose uh, as long as your limbs are, you know, you're good, your mind is ticking. Uh, exactly. You must do whatever you can. I totally agree with that. But Anil, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Mike. And it was a pleasure uh, for me as well. And uh, I, we hope to see you sometime again in the future in person or something. My son is in London, so maybe we'll, you know, when I drop in there, uh, we could catch up sometime. Absolutely. Sounds great. 